Welcome to episode 331 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Is your organization or employee resource group seeking speakers for June's Pride Month festivities? I'd love to put my name in for consideration. My two most requested presentations are Redefining Networking, Strategies for Success in an Evolving Landscape, and Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom. Both have elements of DEIB woven throughout. That's diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Would an interview be better than a presentation? You can interview me about those topics, and I'm also open to being interviewed about being an openly trans business owner of a certified LGBT business enterprise, how I reinvented myself when COVID-19 shuttered my business, why I'm choosing to attend the National Speakers Association annual conference in Florida this summer despite the horrific anti-LGBT pro-gun laws that are being enacted, and really anything else you think would be of interest to your group. I'd love to discuss this with you. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and we'll schedule a chat. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is on a mission to create opportunities and connections for others. She's the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, a full-service marketing agency specializing in digital and integrated marketing services and public relations for authors, business leaders, coaches, trainers, speakers, and thought leaders. Her firm has provided a wide range of services to help clients launch nearly 200 books, enabling authors to build their brands, acquire more business customers, and increase book sales. She's the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book or Cause. The book takes an in-depth look at what it takes to achieve the greatest possible influence, provides valuable advice for targeting key audiences, offers a variety of practical steps for cutting through the noise, and shares best practices for cultivating community, reveals practical strategies for growing an online presence. She's also the host of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, where she shares actionable advice to help authors achieve their goals to reach more readers and enhance their brand. Please join me welcoming Becky Robinson. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's amazing to be here with you this afternoon. So awesome. Thanks for joining us, Becky, from your place in Lambertville, Michigan. I feel like our lives intersect in so many interesting ways. We're psyched that you're here, right? This is like there are, and I say we, because I have several people who want to know when is this airing, which doesn't always happen. So this is a show at Building Strong Networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I'm going to have a funny story as I share that, but I'll start with my definition. And uh, one of the things about my work in the world is that before I had a company, I actually had a blog called Weaving Influence. So I was kind of in this transition where I was doing some freelancing and I wanted to get my own site up and running so that I could build an online audience. And I had a tagline at the time for the Weaving Influence blog. It was finding everyday ways to make a difference. So to me, leadership is about making a choice to make a difference in the lives of others. I love it. A choice to make the difference in the lives of others. And when did you first start realizing you had some of those 
like skill sets to make that happen? Yeah, well, I I feel like I've been a leader throughout my whole life. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of like this youth leadership foundation called Hobie. I went to that when I was a sophomore in high school. And so sometimes if you meet someone who's done the Hobie thing, it's like this immediate recognition. So, you know, I tried and failed to run for class president when I was in elementary school. But the funny story I have about when I figured out that I had the skills to lead is uh, if you roll back to about 2009, I had been home with my kids uh, for many years. I was just getting back into the workplace and I started doing freelance writing. And the client I was working with came to me and said, hey, Becky, do you think you could write a blog about something that you know nothing about? So I I was kind of curious, like, okay, so what's this thing you want me to write a blog about? And the guy said, leadership. And I was a little bit mad and I started to kind of like defend myself and say, hey, wait, I know about leadership. You know, I'm the president of my condo board and I started a preschool co-op for homeschooling parents. Like I know a thing or two about leading, but, you know, obviously the outside perspective was like, you don't know about leadership, but can you write about it anyway? And so all that to say, you know, I've had this thread of leading in various ways throughout my life, you know, from childhood until now. Uh, but certainly when when you start to build a company, that's when, you know, that skill is tested. Oh, yeah, that I underscore that last part. But um, before we dig into the company and, and the work you've been doing, I'm, I'm actually really curious to be um, a little into like who you were as a kid. I'm like picturing you on the playground, you know, um, uh, you, said, you said like you tried running for school president and didn't happen. I did too, by the way. I don't think it was president. I don't think I, I don't know. The inside politics never worked. I actually had a student government creating things for my campaign. So that worked. Oh, fun. But yeah, like, what were you like? I was probably sitting, you know, off to the side with my nose in a book. I've always been like a book kid, you know, the the kind that would go to the library and check out a stack, yay high, wake up early on the weekends and read books out loud to my stuffed animals. Um, I was like just a big nerd kid. Um, the other thing about me is that my dad was in the army, so I moved around a lot. And so I think part of who I am today comes from the fact that I was constantly having to adapt in new schools and new environments and get to know people. So another thing I did um, when I was a high school student, I I had to move in the middle of my junior year of high school. And after having experience kind of getting to know the high school as a new student, I decided I would write a guide for new students. And so I like put together this like tips about how to be a new student at our school. So that's the kind of kid I was. Yeah, I mean, the 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 books track to today, that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But also your desire to make life easier for others who are following in your footsteps. That's kind of also who you are. Yeah, I think so. And on the book side, also, I was like a scribbler in journals. So I still have, you know, these flannel covered or floral designed journals in stacks where I would, you know, back then I wrote poetry more and I would also just journal and I'd write stories. And so... All, all of that too. Did you, like, were you active in any, like, after school clubs, yearbook, that kind of thing? Yeah, I was always on the school newspaper staff and I was a drama kid. So I was in shows. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I was not an athlete, which is kind of strange because one of the biggest joys of my adult life is running and it has become a part of my adult identity. But back in, you know, high school, junior high, elementary school, I was not athletic at all. 
So I think one of the things about moving around a lot is that you don't kind of have those tracks that you have to stay in. But I certainly like picked up those interests wherever I went. Right. You you knew that when you showed up, you could find out what the drama club was doing and probably find your people. Yeah. Or the newspaper staff. The newspaper staff. Yeah, both. yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So you're 11, 12 years old. What do you, what do you think you're going to be when you grew up? Did you have a sense of it back then? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so the thing that I would say the most back then was that I wanted to be a pediatrician, which is kind of weird. I think my mom was a nurse. And so like, you know, when you're a kid, you, you think you're going to be a doctor. But the, the reasoning behind it was that I was scared of going to the doctor. So I thought if I were like the kind of doctor who had cool toys and books in the waiting room, that that would be the right kind of doctor to be. And I also had a really good friend um, and she was going to be a pediatric dentist and we were going to like have our offices next door to one another. <laughs> Again, you're trying to make life easier for those who come after you. You're like, there's a problem. I think I know the best way to solve this is better toys and books in the waiting room that well, will help the kids, you know, feel comfortable. Well, yes. But uh, like one thing I want to say, Robbie, um, you mentioned to me about your audience being, you know, entrepreneurial women. And one of the things that's very true for me, and I don't know if this is true for others you've interviewed or others in your sphere, is that I like really had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was about 40. Because in the early part of my life, career was not a big focus. I mean, I had a job, but it wasn't like anything I was like passionate about. And I already mentioned that I took this career break and had three kids and stayed home with my kids. And so it was really only after I emerged from that, you know, in my later 30s that I kind of started to figure out who I wanted to become. So part of the message for, for those who might be watching is like, it's not too late. You, you can kind of figure things out. And, you know, I think about that because I do have some young adult kids who are, you know, beginning to try to find their way. And sometimes it's kind of scary to look at them and wonder what they're going to do next. But then I remind myself, like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I've, you know, landed in this amazing career now. There was a scene in the movie Milk uh, about Harvey Milk's life in San Francisco. And he has just turned 40. And he's talking to another character about how he hasn't done anything with his life. Hmm. Um, and I just remember sitting and I, I was probably like late 30s at that point watching the movie. I remember being like, oh, that's a reset. <laughs> like clearly, like he did so much after his 40th birthday that the whole movie about <laughs> um, there's a lot more life. And, I, and you're right. A lot of the women that I work with coaching uh, part of the reason they're looking for a coach is because they suddenly it's their turn. Um, so what you're describing of like kind of the early years and then having it to be your turn. But you did it. Did you go off to college and then into career or right into career? Oh, no, I did. I, I went to college. I studied um, in undergrad. I studied English and creative writing. And then I got a master's degree um, by like age, I don't know, 23 or something. So Straight no, I, I definitely yeah. did all the school. I did the school thing, but I didn't emerge from school. I got married young um, and, you know, it was kind of like more focused on the career path that my husband was taking at the time and supporting that. And, and I just wasn't super ambitious. Like I, I really like wanted kids, you know, wanted to make a home and I wasn't ambitious. I mean, having three kids and being home with them is ambitious in my book, <laughs> having, uh, I was an, I was the uh, primary caregiver of my kids for the first three years while I was trying to get my business off the ground. Mm. So 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's I, a I lot. mean, I'll sometimes say I homeschooled my oldest until third grade. And I will sometimes say that those years when I was home and homeschooling and I had, you know, one that I was schooling and toddlers, like that was way harder than running an organization. Mm. Yeah, a lot of transferable skills in a lot of ways. Um, so you, your story is, has sort of this big shift then. Your kids get to a certain level of, you know, dressing themselves or something. And then you're like, have this passion. How did you refine or how did you discover that what you want to do now? Like, how, like suddenly you had the sort of the, oh, maybe there's something in the future for me. But how did you start to peel back the what could that look like? Sure. So there were two two different kind of formational events that happened. The first one was my husband asking me, hey, Becky, what are you going to do for work when the kids are in school? And I didn't know because, you know, I'd been out of the workforce for so long. Um, and at that point, the only thing that I could come up with was writing because, you know, Robbie, you and I already talked. I always loved writing. Um, and so I started wondering, could I make a career out of writing? So that was the first thing. The second thing was, New Year's Day 2009, uh, we had these family friends we would always get together with, and they had kids who were younger. So we had met these folks when we were in our early 20s, and now their kids were in their 20s. And so I was like, I don't know, in my later 30s. And one of the young women who was part of this family said, you got to get on Facebook. I was like, really? So she set up a Facebook account. And right away, I, I'm Robbie, do you remember when you first got on social media? Mm-hmm. All right. So it was like magic, like reconnecting with all these people from my past lives, you know, people from high school, people from college. And I happened to be on Facebook one day and a friend on Facebook said, I'm looking for freelance writers. They have to be good. So I took a chance. I barely remembered this guy. I sent him a Facebook message and I said, you know, I was interested in what you said about freelance writing. I've been doing some. It's a dream of mine to try to see if I can build a career writing. And then I said, but, you know, so-and-so from high school is a freelance writer and so-and-so from high school is a freelance writer. Maybe talk to them first. And he came back and he was like, send me a writing sample. And so that was kind of the journey that began. I started doing freelance writing. I got hired to write that blog. Uh, you know, when I started writing the blog, the the marketing department said, hey, could you learn Twitter? Could you learn Facebook pages? Could you start doing some marketing of the blog to get an audience? So I really, every single thing I do today and every single thing I wrote in my book, I learned it just by doing it. Because when I graduated from college in the early 90s, there was no email even. So it was all a matter of like, let's try some things. Let's learn some things. Let's see what works. And along the way, a big part of that was the people that I was connected to on the journey. I love that part of that early part of your journey, I guess, is the reconnection to someone in your network that you hadn't talked to in a while. You weren't even sure how well he'd remember you, but you thought he might, right? So that your, your current message about reach kind of ties back to that. You know, you're reaching out to people already in your network, and that's something you and I have a shared sort of core value around. Mm -hmm. And I also love that, you know, this idea, like when the kids are, are in school, like, what are you going to do? And you're like, oh, like, that's like, it's almost daunting. Like, oh, really? Like, I've just been in this for so long. Um, uh, and 2009 is both a long time ago and not at all a long time ago. It's this really weird thing where it, it doesn't feel like that long, but so much has changed about how we communicate. And you were really riding that wave. I did Friendster and then MySpace and then Oh, Facebook. wow. Yeah. And I, and each one of those 
like when I moved from Friendster to MySpace, my Friendster message, like whatever under your name is like, not here anymore. Find me on MySpace. And then MySpace, not here anymore. <laughs> Find me on Facebook. Um, it's funny. My Twitter now says, not here anymore. Find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the evolution of that time, we were all testing things out. And for you to find out how to apply that in a business sense right away is really interesting. Um, when did you start to think of it as a business versus freelance? Because like the freelance piece, that's that's piecemeal, right? Whereas you're you're building a business. How does that change? Yeah, so I, I'd love to share that with you. So the transition for me was I was doing some freelance writing projects and then I actually got hired as someone's employee. So I was working for a leadership consultant. And the first project I had was to help launch his book. And so when I did that, I was leveraging a lot of my own personal social channels as part of it. And as a result, I had other people who had business books launching at the time. So this would have been by then, maybe 2011. And people started coming to me and asking me if I would help them launch their books as well. And to be honest, Robbie, at first, that was not that compelling to me. You know, I finally had a W-2 job and it was flexible and remote and, you know, it fit with, with what I was doing at the time. But that all changed the day that Jesse Lynn Stoner introduced me to Whitney Johnson. So the backstory is that as I was working and doing social media, Jessie Lynn Stoner, you probably don't know her, uh, but Jessie is like this amazing network opener. Uh, like, I don't even know what to call her, but the, I met Jessie on LinkedIn before she started her leadership blog. And she was asking for some guidance kind of generally about how to start a blog. And so I offered to have a phone call with her. So I think back then we were using GoToMeeting for face-to-face -face calls. And so I had a meeting with Jessie and I uh, taught her all about blogging. I might've done multiple calls with her. I, I don't think I ever charged her like as a business. It was all of just like a friendship, kind of mentoring, helping her figure out blogging. So Jessie Lynn Stoner is a traditionally published author. Her co-author was Ken Blanchard. And so because of the connection to Jessie, when Jessie met, Whitney and Whitney was launching her first book, you know, Jesse, you know, freely introduced me. She went on to introduce me to the Barrett Kohler community. Barrett Kohler became my publisher. Barrett Kohler became like the hugest referral of business into my organization. But it really all started with the introduction from Jesse to Whitney. How did you meet Jesse? On LinkedIn when she was looking for help blogging. Were you connected already or was this at a time when LinkedIn wasn't as busy with posts and yeah, it's a good question, Robbie. I think that what happened was that Jesse had raised her hand to help on that first book that I launched. Mm. And so she was a part of, you know, someone's network or community connected to that launch. Yeah. And when I saw that she needed help, I offered. And then we forged a really strong connection. I have to say, like, it's so helpful to hear this and think about it in the rearview mirror, because for so many of us at any point, this is the land in front of us that we, we haven't cultivated yet. And we just it's hard to see it. But if you see these examples of, you know, you do someone a favor, you help somebody out, they appreciate it, they think you did a good job, they pass your name along. I mean, word of mouth referral is still absolutely the best thing you can get. Like I always say, I, I want you to invite your plus one to my whatever. Like I'm doing a training later today. I'm like, who's your plus one? Sure, you can broadcast it everywhere. Like, That's great. Thank you. It's lovely. But can you think of one person you want to invite? Because that one introduction is going to be so powerful and might actually get that person to pay attention and, and maybe do the thing. And so you you got that kind of credibility and then it happened 
that she was connected to Ken Blanchard and Whitney Johnson, who are both now household names within the world of business thinkers and uh, thought leaders, right? So back then, you and I were talking beforehand, like I've known Dory Clark since 2008. People didn't know her name back then, they should have, but they didn't really know her name. Now she's one of those people that you can say in that same sentence and everyone's like, oh yes, of course. So you happen to kind of get in that crowd, but you did so by being of service, by providing value, by helping, you know, so that people were just sharing your name. And you got into this, how did you feel after a while about being in the world of book launches though? Was it becoming a passion or like, just something you know how to do. Well, certainly so. Well, let me go back. I just yeah. want to highlight something that I think is really important. So um, one of the reasons I think I had an easier time building a really strong network that eventually became super supportive is that the first couple of years that I was using social media, I wasn't trying to sell anything. Because I was freelancing and because I had you know, a W-2 job and I was using social media more just as a way of connecting with people, I was able to be generous and give a lot before I actually had a business that I was trying to drive sales. And I feel like what oftentimes people miss is they show up in the spaces and they show up when they have a need. They show up because they have a book coming out. They were never in the space before. They show up because they want to sell a course. They were never in the space before. They show up because they want to drive business. Again, if they weren't ever in the space before, it's really hard to get that support. And so I had, you know, two, three years of you know, showing up without an agenda. I wasn't trying to sell anything. And so I was able to forge these amazing, strong connections with people so that, and, and it wasn't even calculated of like, well, I, I have this goal in mind. I didn't. I didn't have a goal in mind. So it's so much easier to give without strings when you don't have an agenda. And it's so much easier to build those, you know, authentic relationships when you don't have an agenda. So I just want to highlight that because I think in some ways it's a, a privilege that I had or a, I don't even know what to call it, like a blessing that I had. It just it just made for more authentic, real giving, sharing. And the end result was that when I did have, you know, a book to launch many, many years later, or I did have a business, you know, people wanted me to be successful. They wanted to help me succeed. I just want to say... Um... Back in uh, probably 2006, seven, my mom got wind of the fact that I was meeting with people at a coffee shop around the corner from my office from nine to 10. Uh, I had to be in my office at 10, probably like two or three times a month. I was just get, it was like office hours. And I was showing with my brain and my Blackberry, which tells you how long ago this was. And I wasn't charging. And the topics really ranged. At the time, I did not identify as a coach or a strategist, or a career counselor. But that's kind of the stuff I was doing. I was just plucking from my brain ideas of what people can do and helping them find their path with their own networks. And and my mother was like, why aren't you charging? And I said, it's like giving rides to the airport. You do it when you have a relationship and you have the resource that someone might need. And that person you're helping appreciates it and recognizes it as a favor. And one day when you need a ride to the airport, not only are you going to get one, but it's likely to be someone who's witnessed you being very generous, but maybe hasn't even received that generosity directly. And so mm -hmm. like you, I did that for so long. By the time I actually needed people to respond, I mean, part of the success of my most recent book launch is the, the what I've given to the world you know, in the preceding years um, so that the ask doesn't seem out of nowhere. I think too many people wait, like you said, 
till they need something. I, how many times people send you a CV attached to a LinkedIn message and you're like, when's the last time I haven't heard from you in 10 years? They're like, can you look at my CV and help me get a job? And you're like, who are you? What is this? <laughs> um, so you're, you're like, uh, you were giving into your network over time in a really generous way, in an abundant way. So, you, you know, the, it, it was it was full and then people wanted to be responding. So I, I'm so glad you're sort of underscoring that because I, I think too many people um, get, even if they get into a job, they they forget that this is something they have to keep doing. <laughs> like, um, it's not like, I'm good, I've got a job because jobs are not forever. Yeah. So you were asking me about the, where did the passion for the book Yeah, because come you said from. at first you were like, eh, I mean, it was okay. But now clearly you 200, like almost 200 books. Yeah, been- we've, we've launched a lot, a lot of books and I do love it. I think honestly, I pretty much loved it from the beginning. Like the, the strategizing of it, you know, the preparation, you know, um, in my world. And it, I think this is in the appendix of my book. I outline kind of the phases of book marketing. So you're building or you're working or you're launching. Once the book has launched, it's advancing. It's keeping the book out there, continuing to add value. And I just love the whole arc of the experience. You know, what I love now um, and sometimes I like scratch my head and I think like, am I not bored of this yet? But, you know, every author is unique and every message is unique. Their passion, their goals are unique. And so it's like those individual people and being with them at a moment in time to be able to help to clear up the confusion and overwhelm that they often feel, you know, to be able to cheer them on and celebrate with them. It's, it's like you get all the emotions. It's fun. Yeah, you get to be a guide to someone who's got a really valuable message because they probably wouldn't have committed to and followed through with the book writing if it wasn't valuable because it's a really, the writing itself is like a really hard part of this. Um, but now there's just, I know for my first book, which came out in 2017, I, I don't love the writing process. I've now done it three times and it's still not something I love. But I reached a point a couple of months before it was like really ready, ready, where I was like, this is actually gonna happen oh, I want people to read this. Like, it just clicked. I was like, this isn't just like publish the book and I'm happy. This was like, oh no, this is a good book. People should read this book. Well, how do I do that? So like that, that moment, and then you realize like, you're always kind of feel like you're, you're running to a deadline. And, and when you get to the, that deadline, you realize it's step one. It's like writing the book. You're like, oh, I'm gonna write this book. You finish writing the book and you're like, oh, that was step one. And then you finally publish and you're like, mm-mm, that was step one. And then you've launched, you're like, mm, that was step one. <laughs> now I gotta do something with the book. So you so but like you said, the phases, but when you're a new writer, you can't see past the phase you're in. And I think that's where working with someone like you helps them plot out and probably write a better book because they really know the audience. They understand who they're writing it for. I mean, too many people I, you know, write what they want to write versus like what people need. So I feel like this is this is where it gets exciting for you, right? Because you get to individually strategize. Well, yes. And I would say, Robbie, I don't meet too many people before their book is done. I more often mm. meet them when they're already down the path. But I just have, a, have to give a shout out to AJ Harper. So if you are not already like following AJ, like you need her book um, when you're in that stage of figuring out the writing process and how to write a book that people will want to read. 
So what happens with writing a book, I think, is like you said, Robbie, that writing process is so overwhelming. What I really want is I want people to start thinking about marketing their book before they write it. I want them to be building their networks before, like as they're writing the book. You know, I want them to be marketing the book as they're writing the book. But most people have a really hard time managing both. And so what I'll hear from people is like, let me finish the book and then I'll get back to you and we can talk about marketing, which I think is like not the optimal way of doing it. But as a result, a lot of what I end up doing with people is like, okay, well, you know, your book's going to come out in two months. That's, you know, suboptimal. It's not ideal, but let's figure out how to launch it in the best way. And then let's look at the long-term value that your book can bring to your life and work and business uh, because it really is more than just about the launch. But, you know, in an ideal world, I would want to see people really like building their network, sharing value, showing up um, and seeing that as as part of the whole journey. Uh, You know, I will often say, you know, I probably knew really early in my business that I wanted to write a book someday. It took me a long time to get there. And all of the building of my email list and all of the building of my network, it all made the launch more successful. And even still, Robbie, it is dang hard. Yeah. <laughs> if I told you how many books I've sold, it's, you know, it's not the most exciting number in the world. I, I couldn't tell you the number, but it's much lower than I would want it to be. There are way more books still sitting in warehouses than I want there to be. Um, and that's just the, the thing that people don't talk about, really is how hard it is to sell the book once once you've written it, even if this is what you do for a living. Even if it's what you do for a living, and even if you do all the work to like line it up. So the people who aren't doing the marketing along the way, they're probably not writing the book that the market needs. So part of what I think about is, I'm, I'm always talking about the book as I'm writing it. And I want to give a shout out to Kathy Fayok, who I met through the National Speakers Association. She helps authors get their books written. And I met her 2016, she handed me a button that said, ask me about my book. It's this big button. Oh, I know her too, Robbie. <laughs> For yeah. three days, I walked around with that button and people asked me and I got my pitch down really quick. And I, a year later, walked in with a book. Um, and so that whole year, I was talking about the book and it really led it. I My ne- first topic was networking. It's a very amorphous topic. <laughs> it could be a lot of things. It took me a while to narrow down who it was for. And it was those conversations that helped me crystallize it. So instead of writing an encyclopedia of everything networking, I got to write a slim, quick, actionable book that resonated with the people who needed it. And that's the, I mean, I think when people say to you, like, I, I'm still working on writing the book. I'm like, do you want it to be the book you want to write or the one people want to buy and actually read? Because that's still so different. We all have like stacks of books we, we buy on behalf of friends. And then it's like, it's a good book, but I haven't, gotten around, I haven't gotten around to reading it, which is why I was so like, again, I said it in my intro, the fact that I got your book, immediately listened to it. And then I was like, I, first of all, I agree with everything in the book. I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. And then I was like, I have to make sure that everyone I know knows about this because visually my clients, the mindset piece, could you actually speak to that? Because I really feel like you did a nice job addressing the hesitancy people have about activating their network and sharing their value. Because you, it, once that shifts, I feel like people, the, the how is something you have to figure out how to do, but a lot of people resist the how because they're not ready to be visible. You know, what I'll often hear is like, well, I, I'm not comfortable with self-promotion. And you know, I think the shift that we need to make is we need to think about 
the content that we're creating, who we're creating it for, and realize that as we share that content, we're not promoting ourselves, we're adding value to the world. So sometimes as it relates to authors, I'll say, you know, book marketing isn't book, it isn't self-promotion, it's message promotion. And I think that when we can stay connected to the impact that our work can have, it can help us kind of get out of our own heads. Um, you know, even things like filming video or, you know, showing up in online spaces, you know, people will say to me, well, I don't want to have an email list. I get emails, you know, all the time from authors. I'm so sick of getting these emails. I don't want to be one of those people. And what I try to help people realize is the person who needs the message that you're writing is going to open your emails gladly because they are going to be looking for the ideas, the expertise that you're bringing. And so if you can focus on bringing value as a first step, um, then the email is not like filling up their inbox in an unwanted way. It's, you know, a, a welcome gift that people can receive. Um and, and I face that a lot in terms of like authors who don't want to, you know, have a newsletter for that reason because they they are tired. Well, you know, they are not the audience for that book then. Well, that's where getting clarity about the, the, the reader you're writing for gets, helps clarify that because then the, the, the newsletter is also geared towards that specific person, right? It's not generic. It's, it's you, it's that person. Um, I have a background in fundraising and spent a lot, it's been like 15 years in the world of nonprofit fundraising and fundraising events. And I train people on how to get past the fear of asking. And there's this like, I don't know, it's an anonymous quote. So anonymous gets credited with a lot of good things. But uh, if you're afraid to ask, kick yourself out of the way and let the cause talk. And I think in this context, it's the same thing. Like if you're afraid to ask, you're afraid to put yourself out there. It's not about you. It's about your messages, about the value. And if, if you truly believe, like I just wrote this book about Zoom that I know will completely change how people interact with Zoom and it'll help them create a better message and platform and connection and engagement. Like it, it's transformative, but only if people read it <laughs> and only if they then take action on it. So I wrote a book that was very actionable. That part's done, but now I got to get people to read it. So my favorite reviews of the book are of the friends of mine who are professional speakers and facilitators and trainers. And they're like, they're good. They're doing this really well. And they're the ones who like kind of opened it to like, you know, I said two or three sentences is fine. And then they were like, oh, this is actually a book that I can't put down. <laughs> I, read full, I read the whole thing and they wrote four paragraphs for the review. Like they, they were kind of like doing it as a favor. Like, let me glance. And then they're like, whoa. So part of, for me, a re the launch process and the review in particular, it's not about the reviews. Up to maybe the first hundred, it's about the reviews. <laughs> Because Amazon will do special promotion for you at 100. But now I've got over 200 reviews. I'm pushing for more reviews because reviews help me activate my network, help my network read my book. My book then gets referred to more people. I'm going to have inbound business. And even if people don't hire me, I am helping, like the message is still helping people, even if it's DIY. I want all of us to do better with Zoom. So, um, and ultimately, we'll all get more event clients if more of us see Zoom as an optimal uh, option, not just an option or no option. So I feel like that, ah, that shift, like I'm really bought into it. So it's, it's easy for me to get over eager about my own launch because I believe in the message. And that's to your point, your author is like, it's hard for them to start making those plans. Well, I think sometimes there's a scarcity mentality about the value in our books. So my opinion is 
share the value in your book as far and wide as you can so that people can benefit from the ideas and become aware of the ideas, which will lead them to want the book. Whereas I have had some authors say like, well, I got to keep this under wraps until launch, or I don't want to talk about, you know, the book yet. Whereas, you know, I think the more you can talk about the ideas in the book and share the value. The other thing is, and I, I think that Robbie, you're probably realizing this with your launch as well. Value is not only in the content that we're creating, but it's also in those connections that we're making. So anytime you have a new book or a new product, you have this amazing opportunity to be building new connections along the way. And I bet you have on your journey with this book too. Yeah. I I mean, this is where the magic really happens. Some of the people who now have taken to reading the book, I mean, partly because the buzz is happening, they're hearing from other friends, it's important. And then they're the influencers that open up doors in other ways. So if I had just hit publish all quietly, like there'd be a book. But like you said, even with all of that, selling 10,000 books in the first year is like the goal. It's really hard. It's not a goal many of us are going to hit. But what could you do to create a plan to try to do that, right? Like what's the best practice? And then, you know, you may not send 10,000, but you're going to get in front of the right decision makers. Sure. So I, I have a little story about that the importance of that early momentum. So I've been supporting an author named Mark Miller, who's a traditionally published leadership author, and I've been supporting him for nearly a decade. His latest book came out on March 7th, and we had made a decision that we would try to make a run for the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. This is book 11. You know, he has given a ton of value away in the world for free. He's given so many books away. He's, you know, done so many free speeches, webinars, and all of this stuff. And so we made this run for the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and we made the list. But when I was reflecting about it, you know, the even the action, if we had tried to drive as many sales as possible in week one, I think we registered 5,500 sales or 5,600 sales in week one. Even if we had fallen short and not made the list, that momentum of those books in the world early makes it far more likely that the book over its lifetime will have a bigger impact. And so, like you said, Robbie, it's really hard to sell 10,000 books the first year, but you just have to do the things that would set you up for that, even if you're going to fall short of the goal. Well, similarly, I always tell authors to aim to get 50 reviews on Amazon because the systems you set up to create that, it, it, everything else you're talking about falls into place. Like you can't do that by accident. So you're going to create some systems. You're going to have to create a launch team. You're going to have to have some messaging. You're going to have to, pl- you're going to have to actually have a plan. And even if you don't hit 50 right away, even if it takes longer than you expected, it's still going to activate things and you're still going to get more than 25 reviews. And I get pitched all the time by new authors who come through publishing companies like uh, PR firms or uh, publishing companies or like a podcast placement company. So they're spending thousands of dollars to get pitched to be on my podcast. And when I go to their Amazon, they have less than 20 reviews. And Reviews don't sell books per se, but they are social proof on a sales page. And it, particularly if it's a book about networking, that's <laughs> 14 reviews. I'm like, huh, you didn't really work at all to get your network to help you, but you're going to shell out money. So it, it actually diminishes my view of them in that case. Um, and some of these are traditionally published, which is in itself, like obviously an accolade, like they have to have a certain... I know, channels of social platforms to be chosen for that. 
but what what do you think of in regards like what what makes a good launch in your opinion like what are there metrics that people aim for like how do you think of that yeah that's a great question robbie so you know obviously sales are part of the mix um but because selling books is so hard, because I know selling books is so hard, you know, what will sometimes happen is an author will come to me two or three weeks after launch and they'll have their sales data. And then they'll like kind of wanna like do a check-in with me. Like, are these the like how are these numbers? Because I think no one really talks about that. So I think sales as a metric is a really difficult one. I also think, um, you know, a lot of times for nonfiction books, people are looking for the business outcome. So, you know, if you're a speaker, you want more speaking. If you're a consultant, you want more consulting. I think sometimes a book drives those results, but not immediately. You know, it's kind of the momentum of the launch and the, the publicity for the book and the conversations and all of that you definitely will see growth of your business. I certainly have with mine, but it's not immediate. So that's a difficult metric too. Um, some of the metrics that we've used, you know, obviously Amazon reviews are an important metric. I look at social sharing metrics, like, you know, how well have I mobilized my network to share the book if there's a branded hashtag, or if I can track by the mentions of the book, that's a metric that we've used. I have a graphic I made years ago that I had kind of all of these outlined. You know, sometimes you might want to look at like, do you have an increase in web traffic? Do you have an increase in social following? Um, you know, any of those can be used as you're looking at at a book launch and its success. But there's a metric that people don't talk about. So I want to add one to the mix. Um, I, I actually talked about this on a podcast during my launch week. So during the week that my book launched, Robbie, I did a Facebook Live and, a, and then it got turned into a podcast episode every day because I wanted to share the journey. And the metric that I identified during my launch was the metric of joy. And, you know, what I would say to authors is, you know, you wrote a book for a reason. You want to enjoy the journey. And for me, the joy came from, you know, seeing my network support me. The joy came from the surprise in-person launch party that my team was able to pull off without me having a clue until maybe like an hour before. The joy came from just the kindness. I think it, like we underestimate our network's willingness to show up for us to help expand awareness of our book. And just seeing the people who did show up for me and did contribute, there was just so much joy that came from that. How about the joy of achieving a lifelong dream? Like there's a ton of, of joy when you get to the launch week if you're a person who's always dreamed of writing a book and holding it in your hand. So yeah. Yeah, choose joy. That's that's the metric. With that frame, I will tell you that um, I thought that I was writing a third book that was like twenty five to thirty five thousand words because that my first two books were like thirty thirty five thousand words. So I thought, okay. So at the end of the year, I had twenty five thousand words written, and I booked my editor who I'd worked with before. And in January like tenth, I was like, oh, it's probably more like thirty five thousand words, and then. <laughs> Like the end of January, I had, I had written in January 35,000 plus words on top of the 25, right? So like I'm in the middle of that while we're editing previous chapters and the format I was getting involved. So what really the joy was the people out of the woodwork who unexpectedly popped up to help me. The early, early reviews. So I started getting people sending me reviews through a Google form and it's before the book was published. So they couldn't even go on Amazon. But I will say those early, early reviews come at a point where I'm just stressed. 
And then someone read the PDF, the advanced reader copy PDF, and they wrote always encouraging notes, not just a review, but like they wrote additional, like, this is really helpful. Thank you so much. For, like, you know, all this, it, it, it fed me in a moment that I felt very depleted and it made me want to persevere to getting this out to more people. Like I made me want to get to the finish line, but there have been so many instances of people that I don't feel like we're on a close basis, but they've seen me in action. They've witnessed what I do in the world. They like what I'm doing. They've been following me for a while. Like, I don't even know that they're following me for a while. And then they're like, they're excited to finally have something that they can do for me. And that's the flip side of the fear of asking is that when it aligns, they feel awesome about whatever they're doing, sharing, writing a review, whatever it is. And if I don't ask for that help, then I'm denying them happiness. So let's not do that. Like, Let's give people concrete ways to help us along the way. And the people who did, like it, it the book kind of came to being because of that early support. That's amazing. And I've often said, you know, people are honored to be asked. Uh, an analogy I used to always use for book marketing in the beginning is like, it's like a wedding because when you get married, you want to invite everyone you're, you can afford to invite. You know, they show up with a gift. They're glad to show up with the gift. And so just like a wedding, you know, your book deserves a celebration and people are honored to be asked and they want to be able to give a gift and their gift is the support that they can bring to you. All right. I want to say one more thing about my thoughts on on this launch process, and then we're going to shift gears to the last question and how people can connect with you. Um, I'm busy. You're busy. Everybody we know is busy. So what often happens with launches is someone will say, hey, Robbie, can you write me a review? And I say, sure. And then I like may not hear from them for a long time, if ever again. And I'll have some note on my my like to-do list. And then over time, I rewrite the note until all it says is the person's first name. And I can't remember. I have this like nagging feeling I'm supposed to do something. I don't know when. I don't know what, the, what was the book again. Like what was the date? Like all that stuff. So it becomes a to-do item that I now feel a little like guilty about. And I might actually avoid talking to them. And this is what other people are doing to me too if I don't give them enough support. So I believe that people set the intention and it's our job to help them follow through with their intention. And so my launch team is an experience. It goes for months. There, my launch is not going to be done like officially until May. I'm doing a book launch strategies masterclass for my team. And that'll be my last reminder. <laughs> uh, and it started in February. Like it's just kind of going because it's mm -hmm. an experience. But we have private events for the launch team. And, and by the way, it's not geared towards people who wrote a review. It's people who committed to writing a review. It's not an exchange for a review. I'm not saying like you gave me a review and now you get, it's like you committed to writing a review. So now I'm trying to support you in doing that and life intervenes. But guess what? A review in June is still going to be really appreciated. It's okay. It's going to mm. help. Um, so I, I just think sometimes people ask and they don't do the follow-up or the support because they don't want to bother people, but then they don't feel good about it. And so I was wondering any thoughts you have about that sort of mindset. Well, I definitely think that it's important to follow up with folks. You know, I've been looking at the data across 200 book launches. Yeah. And typically what we have seen is only about 10 to 40% of people who will commit to leaving a review actually follow through in a timely way. So, you know, being able to keep people engaged for sure. You know, I had one author I worked with, Pam McLean, and one of the things that she decided to do is every single day do a personal outreach to someone who had promised a review to follow up. 
the other thing you can do is quite often people will come to you and they'll say, hey, Robbie, I just like finished your book and it was life changing and it, it helped me. In that moment is the best time to say, if you haven't already, could you please write an Amazon review? Um, I also try to make sure that I acknowledge every single review. And so one of the things I set up early on was a template in HubSpot, which is what we use for email marketing. It's integrated with my inbox. So that as soon as I saw a review, I could quickly pop in the template, write a personal note and send an email thank you. In the beginning, I was also trying to send a handwritten card. I got these branded cards that, that have reach on the front. I kind of fell off on the handwritten cards for Amazon reviews somewhere along the way. But, you know, my book has been out nearly a year. Uh, by the time this show airs, I'll be past, you know, the one-year anniversary of my book coming out. And I'm going to do a push at the one-year anniversary to get more reviews, to get myself over that 200 mark that you're talking about. So it's never too late, especially if the content in your book is evergreen. You know, I'm not like crazy enough to think that my book will always be relevant because obviously, you know, online presence and such is shifting all the time. But a year later, it's still plenty relevant. And so at, for as long as it's relevant, I'm going to continue to share the book with others in a way that um, will cause them to read it and want to leave reviews so that more people can find it and get the value from it. There's a guy I'm following. His name is Dan Blank. We've not met yet. He's going to be on my show. Uh, he wrote a book called Be the Gateway. And I think it's similar content to my book. His book's been out for five years. He still has people taking selfies with the book and putting them on Instagram. So, you know, the, the message is, yes, Robbie, for sure, you know, support the people who have shown an interest in uh, reviewing your book and, uh, and track with them longer. That connection to you is gold, you know, just the chance to be in your sphere and learn from you and see what you're up to. I'm sure that they're all getting tremendous value. So if you're watching this or listening later, and you're on Robbie's launch team, whatever you can do before, you know, the week is out, uh, make sure you get that review posted. A friend of mine made me laugh out loud, actually, quite literally, because she said, I'm doing so many awesome things right now. She has a Robbie to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And I did. I was like, wow. She says, yeah, I'm. it's not going away. I'm going to make sure I get it done. Um, listen, if we were uh, to reconnect a year from now, and we are staying in touch, so that's not going to be a whole year. But let's say it's a year from now, and I say, oh my gosh, Becky, it was a year ago that I interviewed you. What are we going to be celebrating on your behalf a year from now? What are you most looking forward to? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question, Robbie. Um, so one of the things I have in the works is looking to diversify the revenue in my own organization. So, you know, for the longest time, we've been, you know, trading uh, hours for dollars because we're a done for you marketing agency. I'm kicking off something new uh, soon and I'm going to offer some masterminds, which I've never done before. And I love being with people. So hopefully, Robbie, a year from now, I'm going to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm happier at work than I've ever been because, you know, doing these masterminds uh, matches to like my strengths and my joy. Um, so hopefully that's what we're going to celebrate a year from now, Robbie, that the Reach More Readers masterminds are going to be thriving. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. That is super exciting. I will help you spread the word. How can people find you and follow your work? Sure. So two websites, weavinginfluence.com is my company website. BeckyRobinson.com is my personal website uh, where you can find things about my book. Those are the two main places in terms of the places I own. At either place, you can sign up for my Friday newsletter. Um, and if you're interested in learning how to grow your reach, my Friday newsletter has tons of ideas. 
let's see, as far as social goes, I'm Becky R-B-N-S-N, which is my last name without the vowels. Uh, my primary channels are LinkedIn and Instagram. I do have Facebook. I still have Twitter. Uh, but if you want to see real content from me, LinkedIn and Instagram are the places uh, to follow me. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. The podcast is wherever podcasts are. And I can't wait to have you as a guest, Robbie. So hopefully people will check out the Book Marketing Action Podcast. They'll come listen to my episode with you once we get that recorded. I'd be honored. That's also, awesome. I would welcome anybody to email me at any time. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. And, you know, in the event that my book would be of help to you, and for some reason uh, you don't have the means to purchase it at this time, I'm always happy to send a free copy of, of the book. So feel free to shoot me an email and say, hey, I'd like a free copy of the book. I, I believe that books are seeds. I want to give away as many as I can. I've already given away probably 800 copies of my book since it came out. I give away more every week. So let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to sign and send one to anyone. Brilliant. Wow, Becky, we'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Robbie. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Becky. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 331. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to becoming success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.